1: This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network, and my guest today is Sarah Ann Shockley. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Great to be here, Chris. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So before we jump into this conversation, I would love to share your bio as I usually do on this show, just to familiarize our audience with your work for anyone who's not familiar. And that said, Sarah Ann Shockley is the author of The Pain Companion. In the fall of 2007, she contracted Thoracic Outlet Syndrome, or TOS, and has lived with debilitating nerve pain ever since. She has been a columnist for Pain News Network and is a regular contributor to The Mighty, a 1.5 million member online community for those living with chronic illness and pain. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you can visit her online at www dot thepaincompanion.com, or if you are listening to this on the Be Here Now website, simply scroll down. The link will be right there for you to click on, as well as the link to Sarah and Sarah and Shockley's book, The Pain Companion, which is a wonderful read and what we'll be discussing today. So again, Sarah, thank you very much for joining me.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Yes, as am I, because this is a topic that absolutely. Everyone can relate to maybe yeah. not regards to the specific thoracic um, outlets out excuse me outlet syndrome that you live with, but pain and absolutely um, yeah, i mean it's something that i I have personally struggled with in many different areas of my life from many different causes but so before mm-hmm. we dive into that and the very important work you've put into this book, um can you tell us a bit about your story, you know going back what What your life was like and what led up to this happening in 2007 and then from there where we're at today.
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. I think it's important to know a little bit about somebody's background, be able to relate to them. Yeah. So, yeah, I was a single mom, still am, and uh, was the very active person, kind of the person that gets things done sort of person, very resourceful, reliable, capable. You know, I I had a background in the corporate world and I wasn't working in the corporate world at the time. In 2007, I was working, um, a little more part time so I could be with my son, Mm. but, um, had been, you know, very active. I did martial arts, was a swimmer. We were biking. I was teaching my son how to swim. We were going to go camping, you know, that kind of out there person. And, um, almost overnight that changed dramatically. I was working for a private individual and I had a setup, uh, kind of an office setup that wasn't really ergonomically set up. Mm. So I ha- I'm almost six feet tall and I was using a laptop computer, but even a mini, uh, keyboard so oh, wow. quite a very small, yeah, it was really not a good idea, but we didn't really know. And there I was. And that's what I you know, was offered to work with. And so I did. And I did a lot of research for this person. So I was on the computer a lot. Yeah. And um, what, happens, what happened to me over time was the top of my body collapsed. Basically, that's what thoracic outlet syndrome is about. It's a collapse between the clavicles or the collarbones and the first rib. Right. And so you get there's, there's nerve ganglia. There's a large muscle that goes through there. There's a major um, artery and veins. There's a lot happening in this already pretty narrow space. So when it collapses like that, everything gets squeezed and it's incredibly painful, very debilitating. It affects the arms, the ability to use the arms, both arm strength and it's hard to grip. There's a lot of pain in the arms and hands, tingling, aching, nerve pain is very burny. The neck gets affected so that you can barely turn your head up, down, right, left. Mm -hmm. And it's, and even walking is strange. You kind of walk, leaning forward everything sort of seizes up is it's it's kind of like carpal tunnel of the neck
1: it's my goodness very
2: very intense <clears throat> and even people that haven't had that happen to them i'm sure there are many listeners that have dealt with pain on some some from something yeah. and um and when we talk about pain today you know a lot of the things we're going to say are, are going to relate to physical pain but they're also going to relate to emotional pain yes It's they're very very similar in the way we deal with them or don't deal with them in our culture and um what we're going to talk about you know really applies to both but i was just going to add that what um what happened for me was going very much from a very active lifestyle to extremely inactive lifestyle virtually overnight and that is really hard for anyone and it's a it's a shock to the system and it's also very very scary Um, so one of the things that I discovered that's so important for us to look at and talk about is what happens to the person when they, uh, meet pain, you know, what happens to the life, what happens to your feelings about yourself, what happens to your ability to be in life or not be in life. Those are really important things that we're not talking about enough, I think. Agreed. Uh, Yeah.
1: And that's what I love that, that you do that in your book and not just a, Quick little overpass of this. I mean, you, uh, I love that you do this. You break it down, um, first of all, for listeners, and we can explore this and we will explore this, but the book. Is broken into four sections which part one is pain moves in and you talk a bit about um, I'm just looking at headings here so we have yeah. life taken over by pain submersion of the self when pain won't leave things of that nature but then we when we get into the second part which you were just uh, alluding to a bit the emotional life of chronic pain you have a whole section on here that talks about that the the fear anxiety stress guilt shame anger blame Isolation, loneliness, invisibility, physical and emotional exhaustion, sadness and loss. I mean, it just goes on and on yeah. in a beautiful way. And then just to, to bring it full circle for the audience, part three, meditative approaches to physical pain, which is absolutely beautiful. you know, talking about discovering pain's purpose, uh, finding new approaches, communicating with the pain. Again, so much more in that section. And then part four, when pain is a teacher. So you have resistance it's futile uh, compassion for yourself what you've learned from pain nature of true healing again so on and so forth so um just a very very abridged quick overview for the audience but thank you yeah well and i yeah. thank you because that is so key is that you're right when we talk about pain for the majority it's just about the physical aspect and we're not looking at the emotional which for many of us does come and I think for a lot of people, too, they might not even recognize that part as such.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I yes. think that's yeah. what's really important. Um, I I, um, I started, you know, the, the TOS that I had yeah. wouldn't lend itself to healing of any kind. You know, was the, the physical therapies made it worse because yeah. I had a very, very extreme version of it. So uh, I was kind of left to my own devices to try to figure out how to work with it. And and plus, I was, you know, what was I going to do? I was a single mom. I was, you know, barely stumbling through every day in terrible pain. The medications didn't work. The treatments that they had didn't work. I didn't have any money because I was had to be on workman's comp and then disability, so I couldn't go out and try all these wild. You know, people say, "Did you try this? Did you try that?" I tried as much as I could, but I didn't have a lot of resources, and I also felt terrible. So, one of the things that I did was uh, move towards. Well, after some years, this was after some years of just trying to live with it and kind of stumble along. I I thought, well, I've used writing to move through. Uh, emotional pain before, you know, like journaling. What mm-hmm. if I kind of try to write myself out of this pain? Mm-hmm. And kind of a, you know, not a, not a very practical idea because i could barely hold a pen i had to get a big fat one with a very you know felt tip thing that could move really easily could barely bend my neck down so i couldn't see what i was writing but yeah. i was kind of desperate with what am i going to do with this so i am getting back to what you were alluding to we're talking to about the the emotional aspect oh, yeah. and this is really how i discovered what was going on because you said yeah, some people don't even recognize that they're in that and that's so important yeah um i was i began writing uh, you know, what what it was like to be in pain, I, I what it did to me, what it felt like. And I couldn't write more than one or two sentences at a time because of the pain and because of my physical restrictions. And I'd have to get up and walk, couldn't sit for very long, couldn't stay in any position for very long at all. But so it took me literally, it took me a couple of years to fill these two spiral notebooks that I had. But I noticed a couple of things while I was doing this. One was that while I was doing it, I mean, yes, I felt more physical pain because it was painful for me to write. But I also felt a kind of beginnings of a little bit of a release. Mm. And I, I just felt a little bit better around the pain. And so I just kept doing it. And after I'd filled the notebooks, I thought, you know, I've got to look at this, which, which, Seems like, well, I've already done the writing. Why do I need to look at it? But right. I really felt I needed to read what I'd written. And I I read it back to myself. And it it became a really important aspect of the beginnings of my moving towards more healing. Because I I witnessed myself in just what we were mentioning before, that emotional aspect of living with the physical pain. I certainly wrote about the physical physicality of it, how hard it was to get out of bed, the awfulness of the pain. I wrote letters to pain. You know, yelling at pain and asking, What are you doing here? Why are you in my body still? And, but I also wrote about the loss and the sadness and the things we mentioned before and, and the terrible sense of guilt and loss of not being able to be the mom I wanted to be with my son. And, you know, we'd play a board game and he had to move all my pieces and his pieces. I mean, I could just barely, you know, I was physically present, but that was almost it. He had to do, help me with laundry, shopping. Any cleaning we did the house was usually dirty because we couldn't handle all the stuff you know and I, just the awful awful sense of having lost my life to pain yeah and what I'm getting to is that it took that for me to recognize I, I kind of read it and I I cried and I said wow you've been through a terrible time Sarah like like I hadn't even really Mm, and recognize what I was going through emotionally mm-hmm. because you're so caught up in, first of all, the physical pain is so demanding. It's oh, yeah. screaming at you all the time, so that's mainly what you've, you've got your attention on. Yeah. Plus, you're just trying to get through a day. I mean, when you're in a lot of pain, getting out of bed is a major triumph and it takes a lot of, your, you know, by the time you've gotten out of bed and maybe had a shower and maybe made some food for yourself and your child or your children or whoever it is, that's kind of like you're almost spent for the day that's your energy just getting up so it's really intense and you're not going to necessarily have a lot of extra resources to look at well what what's going on with me here how yeah. do i feel about this you know yeah. so one of the things that i put into the book and one of the things i discovered for myself was how important that is to do mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard for people to articulate it so i've tried to articulate what goes on when you're living with pain um, that people find really helpful, but also to have that mirror, that mm-hmm. witness of, you know, the intensity of it on the emotional level. and not to leave it there. you got to start there by recognizing that. And then of course, I talk about what I call antidotes to that. you know how do you then regain a sense of well-being? But the first step is recognizing, oh my gosh, and if you don't recognize what's happening emotionally, you can, I found, be sliding, very either slowly or quickly into that well of this black hole of depression and despair and hopelessness and all of the things that we
1: can meet when we're in pain. Absolutely. Um, And it it is across the board. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of a couple of different areas in my life amongst the many but the obvious one for my listeners is i uh, it's no secret i am in recovery from drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol and one of the great fears not just of myself but most people that have crossed that line from abuse into addiction aside from the mental uh, the obsessive compulsive addiction there's the physical withdrawals which are terrible yeah. and yeah. that keeps so many people coming back to using or staying in those patterns even i mean quite often to the point of death. Um, and I know that there is brain chemistry and science involved and that's beyond the scope of what we'll get into today, but, um, it's just fascinating listening to you and and thinking about that in my own life. And then something, uh, separate from that that came to mind is, uh, for example, I had a hernia and I've Mm -hmm. actually had a few hernias from exercising and running. And I will never forget that, uh, I was living in Canada at the time where, um, I really had a a pretty nasty hernia experience, but I did not know that it was a hernia. I wasn't sure what it was. It was Mm -hmm. my first time having it. I'm living out of country. I don't, even though Canada has free insurance, I'm not a Canadian citizen. So my insurance is still back in Connecticut and I wasn't coming back for two months. So I lived with this um, off and on for several weeks and there was a huge fear you know what is it is it cancer yes. is it et cetera? but along with that became with the emotional and i didn't really recognize it at the time but absolutely you know to be t- fully transparent when you're having um issues in the groin area with the pain that a hernia creates you you don't feel like being intimate with your partner or i didn't at least and then there there is that you know the emotional distance that comes from that and then the mm-hmm. worry and the fear it was just so much going on yeah um, yeah so those are just a few examples for for listeners but you mentioned um recognizing this and then antidotes that you talk about in the book can you give us just maybe one simple uh, example of this for for yeah. the audience uh
2: yeah there's a lot in there <clears throat> yeah excuse me but um what i what i try to focus on is you know I talk about chronic pain, of course, yeah. pain that's ongoing, yeah. but this can happen for people like you're talking about something that you might be in it a few weeks at a time, maybe a few sure. months, but you no, it doesn't really matter. The pain is acute and it's really there. You're going to meet this stuff, right. even after a couple of days, because it's scary. Pain is scary, yeah. and it does... Uh, have this way of separating you from life or seeming to, um, and a lot of us in pain feel like we're living in a different world yeah. and the people around us don't get, get it, you know, of course not. Cause they're not in there with us. So, uh, the, so this isolation can happen. <clears throat> and that's one of the, 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 first things that, that I notice with people is this pulling away because, you know, it's a natural response when we are when we are when we're in pain, we want to pull away from the pain itself, which I also talk about, um, and we'll get into that later. But yeah. one of the first responses is to kind of contract from the pain. It's a natural response, yeah. you know, pull in and hold our breath. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, that also, we also contract and pull away from life because sometimes very much out of necessity because we can't participate the way we used to. But we also tend to use, um, I don't know if uses the word, but that tends to become almost a habit of. We, we can stay way too isolated and way too on our own. And one of the reasons for that is, of course, we don't feel well enough to be included, mm-hmm. if, you know, to be doing things. That's quite normal and, and, and not that, you know, we need to take care of ourselves. But we live in a culture, certainly in this country, in the United States, in which we are really not supposed to be in pain. And it doesn't sound like something, it doesn't sound logical, but really that's our culture. Pain is not supposed to be here. we're supposed to be able to somehow uh get rid of it with medications or treatments or something right away and if we don't get rid of it you know kill it we use pain (laughs) killers you know (laughs) uh, then then we feel bad about ourselves for staying in pain because pain is not okay and and people around us wonder what's wrong with us that we're not out of pain yet. So, so we have this terrible sense of guilt, isolation, shame. And so what I talk about is is um, how to mitigate that and how to create a greater sense of well-being even while we're still moving through the pain. Mm-hmm. So one of those things that I was beginning to talk about is to find ways to reconnect with life while we're still in pain, to not wait for pain to leave. Um, and this may sound... For some, if you're in terrible pain, this may sound like a, a, an idea that isn't very practical, mm. but it is, it's really important to find some ways, even if it's, um, for example, you might be, uh, because of our culture of, of pain not being okay and kind of withdrawing when we're in pain, but also because we're not really allowed to ask for help. I mean we're, we're we can but we we feel guilty about it. Sure. And we don't really know how to do it well and people don't know how to respond very well because people who ask for help are sometimes viewed as needy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we do need some help. So that can be a pro- problematic. So we have to learn a few things and one is to learn how to kind of connect back out to life again even while we're still in pain. That could be really small ways of just staying in touch with friends, explaining what's going on, asking them to be with you in, you know, kind of shorter time frames um, to come over and visit you rather asking you to go out to them if that's hard mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to, and to ask for help. Um, people often are willing to help, but they don't know how. Right. And they, you know, if you've, you've got people that are close to you and you can explain this is re- a real thing that's happening to me. I know you can't see my pain, but I'm in it yeah. and I do need some help. And to reach out, it's it's a little scary to do because, again, we're not – this isn't our normal way of being. We don't normally uh, reach out to each other for help because we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be uber-strong and uber-resourceful and uber-independent. You know, we teach our kids to be that way, and yet when we meet pain, sometimes we have to. So, you know, so, so, so learning how to ask for help um, – inviting people over when when friends come over to visit and they say, is there something I can do?" you say yeah mm. could you could you would you be so kind as to make me a meal uh, and can you make it big enough that I can freeze some of it to have it later would, And if, if that's too much would you would you consider sweeping my walk and, and we don't ask because we feel bad about asking but when we start to ask, we reconnect with people. People are mm. often like you give them something very concrete to do. Yeah, They go, okay, yeah, I can clean your bathtub. I can't clean your bathtub, but I could go shopping for you. And, and, you know, so instead of this kind of broad sense of isolation and loneliness and being pulling away, to bring it into the more specific can sometimes be really helpful. And when people... Want to help sometimes they think they're helping by telling you what treatment to do or whatever (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much But what I really would like you to do is is go to the library for me or take me to the library or just take me out for a cup of tea Can you drive? I can't really drive very well and I can only last about 20 minutes. Can you do that? You know that kind of thing
1: Yeah, I and you know, I, I thank you for saying that Sarah. I I'm terrible at asking for help I will throw oh, myself I under the bus. Like- yeah, I know like I know I'm not unique but I'm also very introverted when it comes well to life but yes, asking for help that's part of the oh, relapse yeah. unfortunately I've experienced a number of uh, relapses in in my life is not yeah. being willing to ask for help. But yeah. the interesting thing is when I am able to help someone else and and like you said not in the regards of saying, "Oh, here's what I think you should do," but quite literally doing something for them that they need, it makes me feel so wonderful. To be able yes. to do that, it's just a what a what a heart you know warmth and resonance yes, and you absolutely. Know, yeah so absolutely. knowing so that you think will it, be, uh, yeah
2: people will be uh, grateful that you ask them in a specific way yeah you know and, and you don't want to overload the other thing that happens is of course those of us who are in pain we have certain people that are aware of it and that help us a lot because they love us and they're around us right but if you can learn to ask other people then you're taking the burden off of the few people that are always there and, yeah. and giving them a little bit of a break. So that's just really a, a very simple but extremely important thing to learn how to do.
1: So important. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, one thing I – before we go any further, and I uh, I meant to ask this to you earlier, so we're going to jump around a little bit. But one thing I did want to ask, and when you were initially talking about your experience um, at the job you had and then how you um, then uh, had thoracic happen in – as a result of you know being if i heard you correctly you were kind of hunched over you didn't have a very ergonomic uh, setup yeah. right so you know i'm listening to you and i'm thinking of my girlfriend who sits at a desk for much of the day and she actually just bought um a new chair the other day but it's one where you kind of you your knees go in it it almost looks like a a meditation style oh yeah i've seen those yeah yeah Yeah. so you know she's trying it out and it hurts her knees after a while but she she's being conscious of this she Mm -hmm. she was starting to get back pain so i my question to you is i'm guessing some people listening can certainly relate because they might work in front of a computer for many hours a day so one how common is uh thoracic outlet syndrome and Mm -hmm. two what can people do who might be listening and hear you sharing about that and now uh uh-oh you know i do this yeah what what can i do
2: well that's a really really good question because unfortunately thoracic outlet syndrome or tos i'll shorten it to that for us now it's easier um is is becoming much much more prevalent and common um it's it's not that easy to diagnose because doctors are only becoming aware of it. You know, it takes sure. them a while to catch up with things, too Yeah, um, but uh, I I work with a neurologist who's quite wonderful and he specializes in this um, I was very lucky to have found him uh, another doctor introduced me to him and He says that there are actually thoracic outlet syndrome um Clinics, I guess you'd call them, uh, at most hospital, I mean, they're all over the country, but nobody's heard of this thing, and yeah. yet it is becoming more prevalent, and it's becoming more prevalent because of our computer use. Um, some people get it from a car accident, like a very sudden impact to the upper chest area, mm. but for many of us, it has it comes from computer use. So I'm not a doctor, so this is not medical advice, Of course. but what I was told by him to do is uh if you can get a, a keyboard that helps your hands be more spread apart so that you're not your hands aren't as close together when you type. that's mm. hard to find because most of the keyboards are, are not that way but if you can, uh, laptops are not the best thing to be using um, constantly because you want to we're bending our our chin down when we use and that's crunching, you know these little things. It's not like you're noticing you're doing this. These very yeah. small little little crunchy things that we do all the time. But over time, I certainly wasn't hunched. Like I wasn't uh, overtly hunched. I I thought I had I have pretty good posture. I thought I was doing fine, but it forced me to pull my arms in more than I would have normally because I was my hands were so close together. Sure. So um, so you want your your keyboard to l- allow your hands to be more open. You want to have um, uh, the the screen to be more eye level so not constantly looking down at the screen so if you can have a separate screen screen and a keyboard that's you know, usually larger than a laptop one so i mean my neurologist says laptops are like ah you know <laughs> don't use them and of course everybody uses them So I know,
1: as i'm staring at my back macbook <laughs> right now like <laughs> i know i know
2: and we all you know they're they're the thing but if you can when you're at home use something else you know if you have the ability to, to have two different computers or something sure. that, you know, something that's portable for smaller stuff, but when you do long term, maybe have it set up a little better so the screen up more and the hands further apart. And mm-hmm. then also the, um, the, the I don't forgot what it's called, but there's this sort of built in mouse that's kind of, um, it's not really a mouse, it's the flat thing, mm-hmm. flat where you move. That's not so great either. So you want to have um, that movement repetitively is not really good when you use that. So if you can have an external mouse. Um, that's going to be better for you too. So those kinds of things. And then, of course, get up and move. Um, we sit way too long. And when you get up and move, and even while you're there, be conscious of pulling your shoulders back a little bit. So you're opening that area, that that sternum area, a little bit more. You can even play with kind of squeezing your shoulder blades together a few times in the back every so often to just kind of, you know, make that open. But get up and walk around. And we should be doing that anyway. But, yeah, uh, you know, be aware of how long you've been sitting. Um, That's also really important. So it is avoidable. um, And it's just a matter of being conscious.
1: Gotcha. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, that's all wonderful uh, information. Thank you. And of course, yes, we'll reiterate, not specific medical advice, but just some helpful pointers for those who um, happen to be in front of computers, like many of us are for lengthy periods of time. So thank you for that, Sarah. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So A big part of the book, which um, I I really liked, is you talking about um, making friends or creating a relationship with the pain in the body, which, you know, hearing about what you struggle with uh, or live with on a daily basis, um, who better to talk about than you? And, you know, I've learned many different meditative techniques and even yoga, things like that to help lean into it. But, you know, someone that lives with TSO, uh, or I'm sorry, it was a TOS. Excuse TOS me. yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. Apologies. Um, but you know, that that's a whole nother ballgame. So, mm-hmm. you know, can you talk a little bit about that about you yeah. know, creating this relationship? Um,
2: like, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I'll sort of do a little preamble to it to set up for that in yeah, terms please. of how I got there. Because yeah. I think it's important. And we were talking about before, you know, um, you were talking about addiction and, and relapses and, the, and the fear of the physical pain of yes. withdrawal, yeah. and so I, I wanted to to address our whole pain paradigm. Really, in in our culture, anyway, is there's a terrible fear of pain, yeah, and and we we don't want to go near it, and we as soon as it shows up, we want to end it, and and we think that that's the way to be because it it well, of course, you want to end pain, well, who wouldn't? Right, but we start from the place of pain is all pain is bad all pain is a, somehow a, a problem a mistake a, a a terrible thing you know and it is of course painful it's not like it we want it to be there but we have this attitude towards pain that it is very powerful very scary very bad and very awful and don't ever go near it yeah. and then if it does show up stop it stop it immediately mm. you know any way you can just stop it yeah. don't go into it at all and that's the place we're starting from. So what happens is when we work with pain is we end up sort of, I, I've looked at this really deeply recently, even um, to to think about this. But what I've realized we're sort of living on a spectrum of the way we deal with pain in our culture where on one end is this battle that we create. Pain is bad, so we have to kill it, battle it, stop it, end it, fight it, overcome it. We use all those words, those fighting words with right. pain. And they seem natural and normal to us because it's the ocean we swim in. You know, pain is bad, therefore we we fight it. What, is she crazy? Of course I'm going to fight it <laughs> right. because, you know, because that's what we believe about pain. And on the same spectrum of pain, pain is bad. On the other end is this idea that you're not going to overcome it. You might as well give up, give in, um, ignore it, put up with it. I did that for many years. Uh, I'll tell you it didn't really work, mm-hmm. but for some people it works for some time, you know, do what works. I I would say everybody should do what works for them. But this spectrum of pain is bad, fighting, fighting, fighting on one end and giving up, giving in on the other end and letting, you know, just blah, I'm just going to put up with it. I began to think, wow, that's what's causing the problem with us not really getting to the other side of chronic pain. We're, we're living on the battle line. So even all of our therapies and our treatments, even our, our, a lot of our alternative therapies are lined up on this battle line against pain. And there we get in a stalemate. We get locked into, you know, head to head with pain and pain's pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. And it's not we're not winning that battle. Yeah. You know, so so I started to think for myself personally for I could tell, you know, I have a condition that's very interesting to work with pain with because it is very painful, but it also um, the pain spikes when I'm tense, when I'm stressed um, because it's a lot of nerve pain. So it responds to any kind of tension in the body, any kind of stress. So that, um, way of meeting pain of being strong and battling and overcoming just made my body tenser and made the pain shoot up. So mm-hmm. I've, I, I, i kind of was given the opportunity to see really clearly that that wasn't working for me personally. And then I looked around and saw, wow, I think it's working for anyone, yeah. you know, very well. So, um, so I started to think about how about a how about if i stepped right off that whole you know that whole spectrum into something different and that's what i talk more about now i realize this is what i'm really talking about shifting our paradigm our whole pain paradigm from pain is awful and we have to fight it fight it fight it and that's where the fear comes from too because it is strong you can't really over what well, you but I don't know if you maybe some people can overcome it. I a lot of people can't though. <laughs> yeah, so Hats you know, off I mean, I'm to not them. gonna say nobody can because maybe somebody out there is doing a good job of that. And sure. I want to encourage you know people to do whatever works for them, honestly. Yeah. But if it isn't working and it's and it can be exhausting oh, to yeah. keep up that battle, then maybe step into a whole other place, not you know, not the giving up place, not the giving in place, not the acquiescing, but this other place where we begin to start from the place of, okay, let's look at pain differently. Let's start with that. Is pain the enemy? Is pain something that needs to be killed? Is, you know, we want it to end. we got that. We all agree with that. Yeah. But how do we get there? And are we trying to jump over the whole journey to get to the ending before we've even started? So, so if we go to this other place and we look at pain as, well, first of all, it's a signal from the body. That's, you know, that's clearly true. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things I did creatively, and you may have seen this in my book, I don't know, but I was working with how to relate to pain differently, how to talk to pain, how to communicate with it. After I started writing letters, I, I, you know, I, I started to think of pain as a thing, you know, because when you live with it for a while, it feels like a, an awful roommate that you didn't know you had, asked for yes. you know and they move in you're like, <laughs> what are you doing here and they're with you every minute you know and you talked about intimacy they're with you when you're loving you they're with you when you're showering they're with you when you're eating Like, get you know ah uh. so so pain starts to have this feeling of being this other thing this other person so i started doing some creative imagination and and looking at the idea of how can i think about pain differently too and i i thought okay well what if pain came to the door you know, my my specific pain or pain in you know, the way pain is showing up for me. What well, if it came to the door and I just opened the door and said hello? Which was kind of a scary thought because we don't want to open the door to pain. All of that is like, nah, that's not what you do. But I went and I imagined that and I opened the door to pain and and there was this person standing there. I thought it was it might be a demon, you know, I have, I have very fiery pains. So I thought it was a fiery demon, you know, I'd have a conversation with it and say, What the hell are you doing here? But <laughs> It turned out to be this really kind of nice-looking young man in silver, with the wings on his boots and the wings on his hat, and he just was like kind of friendly. And I said, "Oh my gosh, it's Hermes, or we might know him as Mercury, the messenger of the gods." And I, I just it just kind of blasted me right out of the meditation because I went, "What?" Wow. <laughs> pain is going to be some evil and that's what started me thinking you know maybe i need to be thinking differently about pain so so pain being thinking of it as a messenger as oh okay it's the part of me that is hurting that's trying to talk to me rather than my enemy this horrible thing and 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 again i'm not belittling anybody's experience you know I'm not minimizing it at all for sure i've lived with horrible pain. It is awful. I'm not saying, you know, it's going to, you're going to say it's a little lamb or something. But what I'm saying is, you know, to, to, to understand that one of the reasons it's yelling so loudly is it has a really important message. And it's part of the, it's a body signal, of course, it's a physical signal, but it also has, you know, in a sense, spiritual aspects and emotional aspects and other aspects of the self kind of talking to us. And if we can just think of it as the part of us that wants to heal, trying to get our attention, just that, that very seemingly small but extremely profound shift in the way we perceive it, sudden all of a sudden, you, I mean, if you can do that, your body suddenly begins to relax. Everything begins to shift already around how you feel about it. Because the way we perceive pain, of course, it informs the way we respond to it which informs the way we experience it, mm-hmm. which informs, in my experience, the way we heal or we don't heal. So we're not saying, oh, boy, let's have more pain around. I'm not saying that because I talk about, you know, becoming allies with pain and partners with pain and, and more friendly with pain. But it's not to the idea that we 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 want it to stick around forever or anything like that. But paradoxically, when we can begin to see pain as a as a partner and an ally, and think of it more as standing next to us rather than in our way or right in our face. Yeah. It's still there. It's not going to go away in that instant. But something starts to take a breath. Something goes, okay, I might be able to do that. It's still very painful. It's still screaming. It's still awful. But it's next to me rather than my whole experience in front of my face, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. So you all of a sudden you've regained the center place in your own life. And just that, that can be very profound. Mm-hmm. And then to begin to have kind of conversations with pain. Well, all right, you're here, I don't like you. In fact, I hate you. I really, really dislike, you know, let's not pretend. Let's let's not say, oh, it's all nice and lovely now. No, it's terrible. Yeah. Let's get real about that, it is terrible. But I understand also that you, terrible pain, have a message for me, and you, awful pain, have a, probably a positive purpose or you wouldn't be here so okay let's let's get down to it what what's what do i need to know how do i need to change what do you need from me that's one question we almost never ask what is pain what is pain asking for mm-hmm. we don't ask that question because we don't want to give pain anything that sounds ludicrous why would you give pain something it would just get bigger, right? It would just take over. But I found that it's, you know, again, it's it's this paradox that the more we resist it and try to push it into a corner of our bodies, it doesn't stay there, it takes over everything, you know, the worse it gets or the more it stays. And when we begin to ask, what do you need? What can I do for you? Which is totally counterintuitive. It weirdly, pain starts to seemingly begin to relax. It's like it needs to be Needs a different kind of attention than we're giving it, is, I guess, what I'm saying. Sure. And
1: so yeah, I, I, I want to just actually have you elaborate a little on that because it's, I've done that and I've had tremendous results. But I can imagine someone listening, like you said, seeming, it seems very counterintuitive. Yes, so I appreciate you, you know, you've read, you just shared, like, ask it, what does it need? But what can someone who's never done that um, look for as a response from the body yeah, so they know? It.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and this is not, you know, we're talking about intense pain, and yeah. we're talking about chronic pain for the most part, because little yeah. pains, you, know, you stub your toe, and you know, yeah. we're not talking about that. So we're right. talking about something that's that's probably pretty intense on some level or other, yeah. and it might have been around for a little while. So you, you're gonna have to be, you know, it's gonna take a little bit of patience, and it's gonna take, you know, we're not talking the instant overnight cure. I'm not saying, hey, you do this, and then you'll be out of pain tomorrow. Right. No. so. Get ready, you know, you're, you're living with pain anyway. It's probably gonna be here tomorrow anyway, right? So let's look at living with it differently, taking a little bit of time. So one of the things, um, you certainly can sit down and write a letter to pain. I always say advocate people starting with that, or if you can write, or speaking it into your computer. Some way that you can hear it back to yourself or read it back to yourself later. And start with you know uh, telling it how awful it's been, like I did. You know, just get that off your chest. Mm. Tell you know, kind of clear the air. <laughs> but then, uh, then be willing to listen to pain. Be willing to give it the floor, so to speak. So, one of the things that you can do, if you can, um, what I did initially was kind of step into pain in the sense of, and again, that sounds like, what? Why would you do that? But you're already in it. Again, it's nothing that you're not already feeling.
3: Right.
2: We resist what we're already in. So just be with it, you know, for a moment. And for a second, it might feel like it's worse because you're, you're noticing it more. But then it, it's weird. But then the edges kind of start to get a little softer, a little softer, because everything starts to relax. You relax. And say, you know, what do you have to say to me? So you can write, you can have pain write a letter back to you. Right. Of course you are writing it. Of course you are. but you're sort of opening the door to allow that part of you which is in pain to express itself. Again, it's you talking to you. Pain is you. You know it's we, it's not all of you, but it's part of us saying something. It's part of our body, but it's also it's in our system and it's asking for <clears throat> some airtime. Mm-hmm. And when, <clears throat> excuse me, when we don't give it to it, I think that's when it keeps getting louder and louder and louder and more and more insistent. So that's one way. Another way is to um, imagine what i what I've often done is you know, imagine pain is sitting in a chair across from me and just have a conversation with it. And you might even get up if you are able to and go sit in that chair, <clears throat> excuse me, as pain, and speak as pain. and and it sounds like, well, that's not going to do anything. What is that? But something strange happens and you start to actually just let it roll. Something else, some other part of consciousness comes through. And you'll hear something else that you might not expect to come through that. Um, You can do those kinds of imaginative things. Mm. What you're likely, you know, you're going to hear, pain is custom made. It's custom made for your body, for yourself, for your life. It's not, you know, my pain isn't your pain, your pain isn't my pain. So what you're going to hear from your pain is not necessarily going to be the same thing that I'm going to hear from my pain. But it's. And you can, you can also do this just totally intuitively. You can you know feel where your pain is the worst. And then imagine just kind of putting your awareness next to it, not in a resistance, but just kind of being with it. And just in a little softer voice than normal. you know usually we're, we're yelling back at pain, you yeah. know, get out, ah stop, I hate you. But just saying, okay, you know I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to listen And just open up your consciousness, your awareness to listening. And you might hear some surprising things. They may come in feelings and it may come in uh, kind of an awareness or a knowing or it may come almost almost like words. You know, it's not like somebody's going to show up with a voice, but it's it's again, it's your it's another part of you talking to you Mm -hmm. that you're now allowing to have a little bit of space and it may ask you to slow down. It may ask you to do something different in terms of diet. It may ask for very physical things. May give you some ideas, but it may it may be very uh, gentle voice. that just says, you know, I just need you to relax a little bit around this, and then I can start to heal. Mm. Because one of the things that we often do, you know, especially again, I'm talking about the culture in the United States very much. So we're rushing. We're 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 very accomplishment oriented. We're very you know, a type go get that, we gotta get our goals. Everything is about goals. Everything oh, yeah. is about reaching goals. Everything is about numbers and how far we've gotten and how many of this we've gotten how many of that we've done and our to-do lists and our this is and our that's and, and we've trained ourselves to make our whole lives like that. I mean, even our vacations are about how many things we saw and how many, you know, and we're rushing from here to there and I think we've kind of, you know, forgotten how to just relax and be with ourselves in a certain way. And even our kids are put put through that in school, you know, go, go, you know, how, what's the grade? Did you do your thing? How many hours did you put in there? And so we take that mentality and that attitude and that approach and we try to apply it to healing. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it doesn't seem to be working real well. And <laughs> I don't think that's what the body's asking for. So. So if you can let go of that mindset a little bit and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to give it a little more time. It's going to take the time it takes anyway. Right. If you're resisting, it, it's probably going to take longer. So kind of let like go of that, you know, almost like goal setting medical, you know, like I'm going to be this much better. And, you know, and also the linearity. Pain is not linear and healing isn't linear. You're right. going to go up, you're going to go down. You're going to go in, you're going to go out. You're going to spiral around. You're gonna, it's not – so to let go of that because we get discouraged when – one day we we feel like a little bit better and the next day we feel worse and we think, oh, that means we're getting worse. Or it just, it's it's not a necessarily a linear path either. It's gonna go up and down and in and out. So so not to take every single thing as a, a indication that you're doing something wrong or whatever. I mean, we can use pain as a guide in terms of going too far, that kind of thing. But we are gonna have days when we're more tired and things are worse and then we're gonna have better days. But if we can notice an overall kind of general improvement, that's really good.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, that's excellent. Um, Thank you for definitely sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. I really appreciate (laughs) that. You know, there was something, we're, we're starting to run short on time, but there was something that I wanted to... Read and of course, while you're sharing, I just got completely immersed in what you're saying and lost the page. (laughs) Um, So good job on your end. Thank you. You've captivated me. (laughs) Uh, And of course, so now I'm just trying to pull it. Oh, here we go. Okay, pull it back up. Because I want to actually share a brief excerpt from the book. Uh, I love the writing in this. It's very accessible, but um, very well written. I really, uh, really enjoy it. Yeah. It's a nice, lovely, to the point, short book. You know, what do we have here? About 175 pages. Yeah,
2: I kept it on purpose. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Yeah. very short little sections that people in pain can just do a little bit at a time.
1: Yeah, very easy to digest. Very user friendly. Um, Really wonderful presentation. And so, yeah, thank you. Um, Something that I think really complements the conversation as is the um, victim victimization and powerlessness that Mm -hmm. can come along with this um and that's something that i certainly have experienced especially early on in my addiction uh, experience, you know, it's like, Oh, why me? Why do I have to live with this? You know? And so there's a, I I remember reading this and I, it's just a couple of paragraphs I want to read and then have you, um, you know, share whatever you'd like to on this. But Mm -hmm. in chapter eight, it's titled victimization and powerlessness. There's a portion where you read or excuse me, you write, you may feel victimized by your condition, pharmaceuticals, invasive procedures, the impersonality of most institutions, or your own body, you may feel you are at the mercy of an interlocking system of agencies and organizations, none of which may present a caring or compassionate face. Medical and insurance forms, appointments, tests, procedures, and legal hearings don't take into account that you are not at your best mentally and emotionally, that you are in terrible pain, or that you have very little stamina, yet you may feel blamed if you are not on top of this situation or able to answer questions clearly and accurately. Sometimes being ill or injured feels like it has become a crime committed by you. And uh, that, you know, again, that's just a brief excerpt from a very powerful section of this book. Um so I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that and yeah. perhaps some of the antidotes, you know, to working with this sense of yeah. victimization. So of important. I
2: appreciate that you brought that up. So important. Yeah, thank you. Because in a sense, we are victims of it, yeah. you know, it, you know, it happens, seems to happen to us. Yeah. And, um, and it's really, really very, very difficult. So nobody should feel, um, bad about feeling bad, but I write about that. I write about that ba- feeling bad about feeling bad. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, um, Again, it goes back to the fact that that in our culture we're not supposed to have pain. So we just, we're very pain avoidant. We think it's all wrong and a problem and a mistake. So therefore, if we're in pain for any length of time, we become the problem, we become the mistake, we become wrong. Sometimes overtly people say that to us, what's wrong with you that you can't fix yourself. Sometimes people that are very close to us and love us a great deal get tired of seeing us in pain, don't, can't believe that we can be in pain this long. So, and it's really hard when you're not in it. It it is hard to, it's hard to be around people in pain, you know, if you're not used to that, if you're not understanding of it, and you want them to be better. And so we have, people in pain have under a great deal of pressure to get better, like yesterday. Right. And we get the pressure from our doctors, we get, you know, who don't understand why we're not getting better, and sometimes get a little... Uh, disbelieving, you know, because they 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 are in a system that says there shouldn't be any pain, and I should be able to fix this. So I I'm supposed to be have the power to fix this, and this hasn't happened for this person. And unfortunately, too many people in the medical community make it the person's fault. It makes it make it the patient's fault. You you know, you 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 are exaggerating. You're malingering. You you know whatever. They get blamed for it. Um, sure. Or well, it's not working, so I'm going to cut you off if of your meds go home. Goodbye. So, um, all of this leads to this horrible sense of shame and blame towards the self and, and anger towards, uh, towards everything, but also really very much towards the self. You know, we really, um, <clears throat> we kind of attack ourselves for, for not healing, for not getting better. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, I don't know if this is answering your original question because I kind of probably talked around in a circle there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: following you. No, I, I'm I'm with you.
2: <laughs> so so um so we can very much feel victimized and, and yeah. very because we're 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 alone in we, we are alone in our pain in a sense. It's only us in here. So that's really hard. On the other hand, the ways that we can work with that and come out of that is to realize that wow, in this in the United States alone. There are millions of people that are dealing with this right now. One in three, say, the National Institutes of Health, say one in three Americans right now are in pain. That's a lot of people dealing yes. with pain, and yet we're not talking about it with each other. We, we're we not supposed to show it. We're not supposed to share about it. We're not supposed to feel it ourselves somehow. We're not supposed to let other people see it. So um, one of the things I'm trying to work with is opening that up a bit more so we have a, more of an open, Conversation about it that that yeah, pain is something we're going to meet on our path in life. It's not that we, we we didn't make a terrible mistake. We're not wrong. We're not awful people. We didn't you know we, we didn't. It's not our terrible. I'm sorry, but I don't necessarily believe in awful karma or some people do. But I you no, know I or, you. <laughs> or or it's a, a punishment or people say it must be something you know some some kind of trite sounding answer to you know uh what it is or you must have done something wrong or you didn't eat the right thing when you were 12 or you know whatever and it's not about making the person wrong or being wrong and it's wow in life we are human we're going to meet pain we got to get over that because it's going to happen it's going to it's just like grief loss people die people age. It, that's part of the human journey. We have to get over saying that can't happen. It can't happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's how it happens. It's how we are with it. It's how we are when we're, when we meet those things. That's what we have control over. That's what we can change right now. We can't change our mortality at the moment. Right. And, and we can't change the fact that there's pain here. And by resisting it, I think we we just make it worse. So so when we when we are in that battle with pain, when we're in the resistance, I think that's where some of the victimization comes in too, because we, we're not going to win that way, and so we're going to always feel like we're it's taking getting the better of us. So finding ways, to, you know, to understand that it is part of the path of being human. It's not a mistake. You're not wrong. You didn't do anything terrible. You know, if something happened. You might you might have a explanation for how the the thing happened whatever the thing is but then we get beyond that okay fine the thing happened whether it's an accident an illness a a choice we made that was didn't lead us into a place we want to be in right now okay now we have a different choice let's make that new choice whatever it is and every moment our choices are for healing we make our healing choices and healing is a path that's just step by step by step it's not usually one day you're in it and one day you're out it's this journey and it and you, you know, you just gradually, for me, I, I notice, and maybe this is true for you, Chris. I don't know, it, when I it's not so much that I can say today, I feel totally different than I did yesterday, but I can look back six months and say, "Ah, six months ago, I couldn't open that jar." Or six months ago, I couldn't have had this conversation with you today, because I wouldn't have had the energy. Mm. Okay, I can see that change, that's cool, something's happening. So we have to sometimes, when we're working with pain, make our sights a little bit longer, so we're not so hard on ourselves on a daily basis. You did this, you didn't do that, you fell over here, you didn't get up. You know, okay, we're doing the best we can every day. So kind of being, I think, one way out of that, you know, that horrible victim feeling is to to release the blame towards ourselves. And certainly towards everybody on the outward plane as well, but also towards ourselves, and be uh, take a little kinder stance towards ourselves. Be softer. You know, um, pain is pain, and, and, and it. If we can be softer towards it and softer towards ourselves, that doesn't mean we don't have this determination to get better. There's a way to have this. Again, it's another kind of paradox where you have this absolute agreement in yourself that you are going to heal. And you're determined to heal that kind of strength, but not the strength of, and so I'm going to fight, 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 fight. It's, it's more of the put all that fighting energy into the determination energy. Okay, we're going to do this and we are going to do this. You and I, pain, we're going to get through the other side of this. And one thing I like to tell people a lot, it came to me many years ago and it helped me a lot, is that pain is like a landscape you're walking through. And anything painful, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever, anything that you're meeting in life that's so difficult. You just notice, I, I was cross-country skiing once, and I went through a landscape that had burnt out here in California. We have wildfires. And it was winter, so there was snow. It was kind of beautiful, but the trees were very, I mean, they were charred, and they were half, you know, most of them weren't there. It was kind of a nightmare landscape in a certain sense. It was just, wow. Mm. And I, I, when I was asking, what is pain, what, what, what am I doing with this pain, I was shown that picture of me in that landscape. And it's like, that's what pain's like. It's a landscape. It looks pretty awful. And when you're in it, you can sit down and go, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. This is awful. This is awful. But if you sit down in it, you're not moving. And if you're doing that, you know, get into the pity thing, we're stuck there. Yeah. So getting up and moving through and knowing it's just a landscape we're moving through. Let's keep going.
1: I love it. So,
2: <laughs> see a little green comes on the trees here and there. Little changes. Look for the little changes.
1: Yeah. So beautiful. Sarah, this has been an absolutely lovely and enlightening conversation. Thank um, you
2: so much, Chris. I've, I've really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I thank you. the The book, again, it's called The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living With and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And um, please know, audience, that we barely began to scratch the surface of everything that uh, Sarah covers in this book. But hopefully in the beginning of the conversation, when I gave the overview, it gave you a good feel for a lot of what's in here that we did not have time to talk about today. Um, I cannot recommend this book enough. If you are a human being... Then this book is for you, plain and simple. So, again, um, scroll down, click the link to learn more about Sarah and her work to visit her website. And also, we will have her book linked there as well. Um, Sarah, I thank you very much. And uh, thank
2: you, Chris. And yeah. thanks to the listeners. Yeah. Really appreciate it being here. My yeah. thanks
1: to you.